I invite you to turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 and we'll be continue our journey through the road through Romans and being a, uh, the first Sunday of the month in communion, I have a shorter message. Um, so it's just a couple of verses that we're covering here so we can get out on time wherever you may have to be. Perks and Bennies. That's the title of my message today. A mixture of cultures there. We have different words for what we call the benefits of the jobs that some of us are a part of. Um, I'm jealous of the ones who are retired right now, but uh, it's not my time yet. <laughs> my time will come. But you've all been there. You've had a job, and more than likely, you've had some benefits that come with that job. Some call it the perks of the job. Some call it bennies. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that phrase used for benefits. Usually, we just th thought, think of bennies as a, you know, your eggs benny, right? But another one, if you've never heard of this one, is your benefits that you have at work. Think of this Q. QUT graduate um, who just uh, studied uh, a, a degree in engineering. And as a newly graduate, uh, he obviously had the obligation to go out and find work. And he managed to score an interview with a high-ranking um, engineering firm. And he came to the interview and they actually asked him, as a new graduate, what do you feel you can bring to the table and, and how much do you think you should be, uh, you should be paid uh, for your salary? He goes, well, I did uh, graduate with honours, so uh, I think I should be paid roughly around the, the level of, let's just say, $250,000 a year. Says, Depending really, though, on the benefits that I get. So, well, the interviewer responds, talking about benefits, would you like to know what comes with the job? Of course, yes, go on. Well, with the job um, comes not just four weeks of annual leave a year, but we do six here at this firm. On top of the annual leave, we pay for all your lunches um, during work hours, and uh, we even have a gym that uh, is available for your use any time of the year. On top of that, we like to provide all our employees of uh, uh, full coverage health insurance. So you don't have to worry about that. We'll pay it all. And we would like um, for you to um, receive, free of charge, we lease a car for you. And uh, feel free, let's, let's just say, we'll, we'll provide for you a Ferrari and uh, that's able to be upgraded every two years um, if you feel so inclined. He listened to that and his jaw just dropped. He goes, what? Really? Are you joking? And the interviewer responds by saying yes. But you're the one who started it. Now it's a bit slow for someone. 
But we have many, many benefits that we are not really aware of when it comes to the work that we do. And I don't really like to call it work, but we are in the business of reconciliation, are we not? God is using us as his instruments for his purposes. And what is that ultimate purpose? To reconcile man to God. Jesus has done the work for allowed to enable that to happen. And we are used to get it going, to complete it, to finish it off until that time comes where, which we've been singing about, that day where, hey, this earth will fade away and it'll be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah for that. So what are the benefits? Paul has just finished off by saying, we have been justified by faith. That justification is such an important word. You need to know it. It's being declared as righteous before God. This was actually a term, remember, that was used in the court systems back in the day. Instead of guilty, you were condemned. Instead of not guilty, you were justified. You were declared as being free. Let go. Declared as righteous. But it doesn't stop there. Not only that, you are treated righteous. You are treated as being not guilty. This is really a concept that a lot of us struggle with because it's not in our human capacity to do that. It's not normal. When we have done something so wrong, this to say against someone, a fellow human, it is not natural for that person to treat us like we have done nothing wrong. Quite the opposite, is it not? So justification. And how does it come? A lot of people have a problem with this. A lot of people say, there are millions out there, and we got to do something. we got to work for it. Or we got to make sure we participate in something. But it's only by one thing is you can be justified, and that is faith. Faith. A simple belief. And we don't believe it can be a work, because even Paul in chapter 4 said, you can't boast about it. No one can boast about faith. It's just something that you have decided to do. It's a decision that you made. Some people have a problem with that. But, again, I can't boast about my faith because the faith is not actually the part that does the saving. It's just the part that activates the saving. Jesus does all the saving for you. It can only come through what Jesus did on the cross. So therefore, Paul writes, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
Now that right there is a marvelous benefit. How many out there are seeking peace right now? And we're not talking about this feeling, this state of sensual tranquility, if you put it. That's probably what the spiritualists say. Where you're just at peace with Mother Nature and the world and everything is just fine. It's actually not what this word is talking about. Peace. Notice the preposition that it uses. Peace with God. Peace with God. So to get a fuller understanding, you might have to be reminded of chapter 1, starting at verse 18, going all the way through to chapter 3 and verse 20. We spent a lot of time on that, did we not? The bad news. The bad news. That sin is enmity with God. Because everyone is born into this fallen world, they are really enmity with God. Um, Psalm 7.11 is, is a very interesting verse, but one that we've got to grasp quite well. And this goes with Romans chapter 1 and following verses. But we're talking about here being an acceptable anger because in Psalm 7.11, it declares that God is a just judge. Remember, for God to be just, he has to abhor sin. He has to hate it. He can't tolerate it. And God is angry with the wicked every day. What a confronting verse that is. God is angry with the wicked every single day. Not many people touch on this verse because it's not really a, a welcoming verse, is it not? But it's a truth we have to be aware of. But God is not angry with us, is he? Because we have peace with God. We have peace with God. So this peace is it's a truth. It's a fact that we are no longer enemies of God. We are friends. We are at peace with Him. The war, W-A-R, it's over. It's finished. The battle is over. Thinking about that song, it is finished. The battle is over. We are declared and treated righteous. We have peace with God. So peace with God versus peace of God. You might be thinking, because when you think of peace, what verse comes to your mind? I'll tell you what verse came to my mind straight away. It's that peace that surpasses understanding. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, you know, we're told, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, okay, of God, which transcends all understanding, which surpasses all understanding, unfathomable, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. Notice the difference. Peace with God versus peace of God. I'll give you a, 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 an illustrative uh, illustration here through this man. Everyone know who this man is? This one is a man by the name of Julian Assange. Okay? Julian, right now, I think, at the moment, is, is in Ecuador. All right? Now, Julian, because he can't come back to Australia being convicted of um, crimes that he had, has committed in the past, right now you could say he might have some peace because well, he is relatively, relatively free where he is. He's not in jail, okay? But he's, he's, he has um, privileges that a person in jail would not get. But he does not have peace with his country right now. Because if he came back here, well, we know what would happen to him. So he can have peace, and we can say it's of God, but we can't say he has peace with the country. With God. We know Jesus, one of his titles is, is the Prince of Peace, is he not? Many songs about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's just an interesting title that he gives, that he's been given. And it's so, I'm just wondering when, you know, the, the Old Testament saints read this, uh, particularly the, the, in the, these chosen people, the Israelites, whether they really, this went through their, their minds of, well, we're not at peace at the moment, so what, 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 what is all this talking about where Jesus is the Prince of Peace? And so we're, we celebrated the fact that, he's, that he brings peace with God, brings us peace with God. So as our Savior, he brings peace with God. And I wrote here as our Lord. So declaring Jesus as sovereign, in control of everything, knows exactly every thought, knows exactly every small detail of your life. He knows what's going on. He cares about you. He's the, he has the authority to do whatever he wants. He loves you. He's in charge. He brings the peace of God. He's the Prince of Peace. Through whom, verse 2 continues, also we have access by faith. There's some interesting versions. You might have one that says an introduction to faith. I was curious on why some versions chose that word, introduction, where really it just means we have access to God. And the reason is, I find out, is because this Greek word that's used to um, uh, mean access or introductions is, by way, it's a word that was used for someone okay, to be introduced to royalty or to a king. Okay, so I chose this particular picture of things that we have to do in order to be introduced to the queen. Did you know there's a lot of do's and don'ts with that? I think one in particular is being dressed up. That's how it was used in the, the ancient days. 
the, the person who was going to be introduced to the king had to be clothed, it had to be appropriate attire, had to be prepared, ready to greet the king, to be introduced to him. And in a way, well, faith is what introduces us to our Creator. To our God. Access to God. In our culture, we might not think much of it, but back in the day, this was a revolutionary idea. This was quite revolutionary. Why? Well, when you think of these gods, you think of the pagan cultures, the Greek gods, even the Roman gods, the many ones that they had. Was there a mentality, even is there a mentality when you read about this, of them trying to have access to them? Well, no. It was quite more the opposite. It was more of, oh no, I don't want anything to do with them, but I just want to, need to make sure that I don't tick them off in case they do something bad to me, right? That's, that's the common mentality back then. They didn't want that intimate access with the God, whereas that's what we want, isn't it? We want to know who our God is. We want to know who our Creator is, why we're here, and His character, and, and, and everything about Him. Not like that back in the day. And then even when you look at Judaism, reading through the Old Testament, the access to God wasn't really that simple or even that requested. When you talk about the presence of God, it's not like they were, well, just think of it. What was the symbol of, to um, have as the presence of God? It was the Ark of the Covenant, right? Intimate access with God, Ark of the Covenant. What happened when someone touched it? Boom. Gone. Dropped dead. Think about getting to the presence of God when they have the tabernacle. The place that was really the closest to God. What was that? It was called the Holy of Holies. Was the Holy of Holies accessible to everyone? No, just one person. One person. And that was the high priest. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the with the tabernacle, but there's different spaces, different courts, different areas that were restricted to some people and not others. The one back from there, you had the, the, the other priests. They could go a little bit closer than the, than the normal. Just got to get that right. Joe Blow. <laughs> because back then, Again, you might not be familiar with. Uh, you had the male, the Jewish male, that got to get closer than the, the female. Okay? There was some equality there, inequality there. Um, and then the female Jew was um, able to get closer than the, the Gentile. Okay, so there's different areas, different courts. But the access to God, it was limited. And then we're told Matthew 27, 51, Mark 15, 38, Luke 23, 45, multiple times, the Holy of Holies, that 
curtain or veil, whatever you want to call it, that scholars calculate to be 60 feet high. So we're talking about 20 meters, 30 feet wide, 10 meters. I think this is about 9 meters from there to there. Okay, And then the curtain uh, apparently was like 4 inches, so 10 centimeters thick. And what happened on the cross? Ripped. Top to bottom. Access to God was now available for anyone. A marvelous, marvelous truth that we should never take for granted. Just think about it. You get to intimately know the God of the universe, where we don't need to be scared of him, where he intimately knows every detail of your life. Cling to that. Cling to that for whatever you're going through right now. That should encourage you, because he knows that he's bigger than whatever you're going through right now. He's stronger than whatever you're going through right now. You can prevail because he has prevailed. I'm just thinking of Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And then quickly, we'll just conclude with these last remaining phrases. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Notice that I I think, I'm convinced, you know, he uses this symbolism on purpose. We stand in grace. We know it's only through grace, but we can stand whatever you're going through. And whatever happens to us, how many times, however many times we fail, how many, many times we stuff up, we just, we, we don't live up to what, who we're supposed to live up to. We don't do the things of, which we ought to do. No matter how many times, we can still hold our head up high and stand. We can stand. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm hoping that verse will be comforting for you today. Hebrews 4.16 To come boldly, not to come hesitantly. Say, oh no, I haven't been everything that you want me to be, Lord, but I come boldly because I know it's, I just know what you've done for me and what it has allowed me to be. It's got nothing to do with me. It's not based on my behavior. It's based on what Christ did on the cross. And then finally, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we have peace with God. We have access to God. And finally, we, we have hope. We have the hope of the glory of God. And so this is why I, 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 when you're having your conversations with people and they just think, oh yeah, that's, the Christianity is good for you, it's good for you, 
And they, they, they even think you know, it's more of a philosophy than, than, a, uh, than a, a relationship or a religion. It has to be more than that. Otherwise, this would just be ridiculous what we're doing right now. If, it's, if this is just, you know, what, I've, I've just drive past um, uh, Burrell Road and there's a spiritual cauldron and the, the, the promotion is to help you get a balance in your spiritual life. What is that? What does that accomplish? It accomplishes nothing when there is no hope for the glory of God. Exodus 33 is 18. This is Moses pleading out to God, please show me your glory. And guess what? If you might have calculated already, Exodus 33, chronologically, what's, what's happened? Has he not already seen the glory of God? He's, he's already seen a burning bush. <laughs> he's already seen the sea just open up. Is that not the glory of God? He's already seen um, bread just come out of the rocks. Water coming out of the rocks. And here he is pleading for more. Now, like we, could, we could quickly critique and, and, and then criticize him and say, oh, Moses, come on. What more do you want from him? <laughs> well, we kind of do the same thing when we see all of the stuff that God's done for us and, we, and then we look, oh, are you going to do it this time as well? And then cling on to this prayer. This is Jesus' prayer. If God answers prayer, Surely Jesus' prayer would one that would be right, rightly answered, yeah? This is, this is Jesus' prayer to his Father. Father, I want those who you have given me, obviously that's us, to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. We can put ourselves in that verse. And there's a day coming where we will be able to actually physically, literally see his glory. Whereas, remember, God's response to Moses was, well, no, you can't because if you do, you'll die. No one can see me and live. But we will be able to when we are given that glorified body, the body that we'll be able to endure, that, that just glory of God. In the meantime, please, are you looking forward to that, that glory? Have you, have you seen the glory already of God? There's more to come, but have you experienced it in your life? I leave it to you as we continue next week through some more benefits, not so much of a one that we benefit when we think of our tribulations, when we think of our trials, when we think of the things that don't go so well in life. So Paul directs the audience to that next. In the meantime, let's praise God for his peace, for the access we have, and for the hope that he gives us. And one day we will see him face to face. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've done, what you're doing. Thank you for the glory that we are able to even experience in this present world. 
that we live. We know there is more to come, much more to come, and we look forward to the hope that we have where we can be confident, Lord. I know Paul is talking about a hope of confidence in this passage, not one of, yeah, it might be right, maybe. No, it's one of confidence, and we're thankful that we can stand in grace because it's all because of your grace that we're able to do so. We thank you. We give you praise, all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.